Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we are here with Rachel Miles, who's a UX research lead at IBM. Uh, today, we're going to talk about competitive research, which should be a fun topic. I was just at my daughter's field day yesterday and disappointed they didn't have a winner. We need more competition in life, so I'm excited to, to talk about competitive research. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've got JH here, too. Yeah, I was talking to somebody on the product side about, uh, you know, drawing inspiration from competitors recently. And it's always kind of a hot topic because it's like, don't chase your competitors, but you do need to know what they're doing. And so I think uh, hearing it about it from the research side sounds uh, very interesting to me. Yeah, awesome. And Rachel, I know when we were talking, you're saying this is not something you've spent your entire career focused on. So maybe we could jump into what kind of brought you to learn about and want to focus on competitive research in the first place. Yeah, so I used to work in the hybrid data management space at IBM, really focused on like data collection and databases and that whole area. And towards the end of my time in that role, the product manager I worked with wanted me to look at the competition of our competitors during the like the desktop installation process. And so I looked at like three or four competitors and and saw just like how much improvement we really needed to have on just like that one experience. And it was really interesting to me and I really enjoyed doing that. And then I did a stint in research ops and then I decided I wanted to be full-time researcher again. And this was something I talked with my vice president about being interested in. And he's very, um, we have a vice president of user research. Well, we, they call it, we call it customer insights. And he's very interested in having a way for us to to more formally uh, be able to measure how well our products are doing. We do have internal design and UX reviews, and we it's kind of like an expert review where we, we have internal people grading all of our products, and there's a quality check every time a developer, like we have a new product release, we have those quality checks, but those are internal measures, and we wanted to match that up with external measures, and so we kind of created this function and um, it's been exciting so far. Nice. What When you think of competitive research, like what does that actually mean? I could imagine it's like going through a competitor's product and taking lots of screenshots and notes about the experience. It could be talking to users of a competitor's product and, and seeing what they like or dislike about it. It could be, you know, pricing stuff. Like, uh, do you do all of that? Is there a certain flavor of it that you focus on? I think that's a, a interesting question because there's a lot of different terminology get, that gets thrown around with competitor research. It's very there's a lot of different ways you can do it. I've heard people talk about competitor profiles, and the way I just like there's competitor profile, competitive analysis, uh, benchmarking, evaluation. There's definitely more than that, but I've kind of I've created sort of a distinction like between them that. People may or may not agree with, but in my eyes, a there's a competitor profile, which is like a high level snapshot looking at the competitor landscape and you look at their marketing collateral, you maybe um, you look at, it's, I, I guess that's really high level. You're just looking at their website and their marketing collateral, like kind of their online presence. And then a competitive analysis goes a step deeper than a profile where you look at secondary research as well, maybe like like analyst reports and you do more of a breakdown of the competition. You have like a lot, like those charts you see a lot where you have those feature breakdowns of what they, what they have and, and you can compare them. Uh, and then 
What I do is specifically competitive benchmarking, which is going into, we do two products. We, we uh, pick an IBM product and then we pick like a key competitor. And with predetermined metrics, we compare the success of those prod- products over time. And then I guess another type of competitive research could be a competitive analysis or evaluation, competitive evaluation, which is kind of similar to a competitive benchmark, but it might be a little bit more flexible in how you conduct it. But these competitive benchmarks and evaluations are, at least in my world, very specifically focused on having users go through the products and being able to compare um, how they do with the product versus our product. And if you can't have a customer go through um, the competitor product or user go through the competitor product, there's other ways of doing that. But this is really, these are, these last two are more UX focused and having that in-depth kind of look at the product experience, whereas a competitor profile and analysis is more high level looking at uh, just kind of what they, they say externally. Yeah. Awesome. And like, obviously you can imagine that there's, you know, value in having all of those things together, right. You know, um, on the profile side, how are they talking about themselves? And you might not even want to put a competitor on your list to look at if they're positioning themselves, you know, for example, in a category you don't want to play in like, sure, that's a database, but you know, that's not a, so, which leads me to my next question, which is, um, how do you choose which competitors to, to benchmark against? Cause I imagine all of this could be you know, a significant amount of work and you want to be mindful about how many and which type you're choosing to benchmark against. So how do you make those decisions? I think, I mean, I could give you the ideal answer and then the real answer. So, Great. I mean, I think the ideal answer is that you, you'd have some clear kind of measures to identify which is the, the competitor to go against, but usually if you're working in a company, you're you're kind of playing a little bit of a political game and you're trying to, uh, well, first, I mean, especially like in UX and design, you're still kind of, we, we still find ourselves advocating for the value of the work that we do a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, there's some people completely bought in, but then there's some people who've never worked with UX and researchers before, so they just don't know. And so it's, there's there's that balance of okay what are they interested in knowing about what are the ones that the product managers are always talking about and sometimes you're like is that even the right one why are they so fixated on that one but sometimes you have to to just actually do the research on that one and and then maybe add another one as well or it it kind of is a case-by-case basis but usually when I'm coming into a, a product there's usually like a clear one that everybody is really focused on. And then there's nice to have like other ones that are good, but there's usually somebody who like we call the, the gorilla that has the most market share and mm-hmm. the one that we're really like watching. Sometimes there's like niche up and comers that might be worth evaluating. But as you said, it is, these are a lot of work, a lot of like time and a lot of um, investment. And so there's a balance. Yeah. And do you get some of that too, like some of that sense from like your own user base? Like when you're just talking to your own users, you hear them mention like, oh, there's something interesting with this tool or whatever. Like, does that somehow like maybe inform what's on the radar and and things like that as well? Yeah, that's definitely happened in research studies that, especially when I'm using a tool like user interviews when recruiting participants and they're not necessarily users of our product, 
then I've, I find that they might just casually mention, okay, we, this is how AWS does it or, or something like that. And, and then that's, that's useful. And so, uh, if, uh, sometimes that's, I guess, uh, I don't want to, we can jump ahead, but the, the, one of the things that we end up doing in case we maybe can't directly access a competitor product is strategically recruit users of competitor products and then really mm-hmm. like drill into their experience of using the competitor products and asking them questions about that if we, for some reason, can't access the competitor product. Yeah. And that could be really challenging with big, expensive enterprise products, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, using that like a free trial you're signing up for and going through and playing. Um, cool. Uh, you, all these different levels you kind of mentioned of like, you know, from the profiles to the benchmark and everything else, like how do you think about like dividing your time across those and or like allocating resources and like how often are you doing them? Are some like mm-hmm. annually, some you do every quarter? Like what's kind of the lay of the land there? I guess um, my current role is really like refining a certain method that then other researchers can start using. And so what I've been doing personally is going, has been kind of jumping around on different products within our portfolio of IBM software. So I have had to make myself be very laser focused on just the benchmarking aspect of it. I think like when when you're a product researcher, you want to do all of those levels at some at some you know some granularity. But for the the purposes of the time amount of time I have, I we already have a lot of internal resources that are on the competitor profile and analysis. Usually, like usually our sales and marketing team and even product management team do that type of research already. So usually, what I do is I look at what they have see what they are, like see the hypotheses that they've they've collected and see if there's something that maybe I need to, like a gap that I need to address. But usually I, I don't do that because it's kind of done and I have to focus on what I'm like kind of charged with doing. Yeah. So let's dig into benchmarking a bit more because you're spending a lot of time there and I imagine this is highly relevant and maybe new information for a lot of folks listening. So um, you mentioned that you're going to use uh, work with users to test the various products and you're going to uh, gauge against some predetermined metrics. Mm-hmm. How do you choose those metrics? Yes. So part of it is determining like what are the goals of even running this method? And then we and then also it's kind of interesting what we're doing because we're kind of coming to product teams with this method because we're trying to create sort of a, a standard method for people to use. So we're, we have like a methodology set of goals and then we have like product specific goals that we add to the uh, actual, the actual research plan. And the first one we did, I felt like I added too many metrics and it got kind of distracting because I wasn't able to, you know, there's always that mixture of qual- qualitative and quantitative and getting the right amount of insights. And and the fact that I didn't have a super large sample size kind of meant that the qua- quantitative metrics weren't as valuable as some of the qualitative metrics. Or it's just, it's just kind of like there's there's always sort of a fine line. And I, and I, fe- I felt like I missed on the qualitative side a little bit. Like I could have gone deeper, um, but when determining the metrics, we are we're trying to figure out okay what aligns best with like the the business value. And a lot of the emphasis right now is on product led growth. And with product led growth, that's it's all about ease of use. And so, what are ease of use metrics? And that's always a UX metrics. But 
um, we really like to look at like time on task and then like how, how like task completion, how successfully are they able to do it? How, do they need to have help? If they have, if they need help, then that's kind of a sign of failure or like, are they able to complete it with help, without help? And those are some of the, the key ones. And then we also, if we're using competitors, um, people who use competitor products, we ask them like to compare their experience using the competitor product with using our product. And those are like kind of our, our core metrics. And then if we need to add something, we will, but it, we, we're trying not to do too many and we're still kind of refining it. Yeah. Is that hard to quantify? Like how is, tell me about using their product versus our product. Is it like, tell me on a scale of one to 10, how good it is or bad, you know, are there ways, do you try to quantify that or? Yeah, it's, just, it's a, it's a rating scale that we do from like worse to bet, like much worse, to much better. And, and then they'll usually explain why they gave that score. But there's, it's, it's always tricky too, because there's a lot of psychology behind why people give an answer, but we, we do the best we can. Yeah, cool. <laughs> nice. And is this happening on like a recurring basis or is it more like an as needed basis? Like, are you trying to do a benchmark every three or six months just to keep it up to date? Or is it more of like, we're doing something in this area. And so this benchmark would be like really timely. So like, let's do it now type of thing. Yeah, well, picking which products to start with for these studies are the kind of the timely aspect, but then the intention is to do them over time, like a, a set amount of time, like maybe it's every product release or like when they've been able to make the changes, then let's run this again and see if they were actually effective. It, it is meant to be done over time. Well, the nice thing too, I guess, if you're doing that benchmarking, for example, with a product release, as you're benchmarking both against the competitor and against yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of companies I know will do you know, UX benchmarking, at least for themselves, how are we right. doing over time? So how are we doing over time relative to ourselves, but also relative to the competition? Yeah, because they, they, they're changing too. <laughs> so we yeah. can Right. They might be getting worse and you're flat. Well, that's better than they're getting better and you're getting worse, right? So it's right. all these relative possibilities. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah true. The, um, you know, something we hear a lot in recruitment when we talk to people about research is you know, generally a bias towards not reusing the same participants a ton and trying to find fresh people to get new insights. Is this, is that different at all within competitive benchmarking where it's like, maybe it's hard to find somebody who's a user of some niche thing or whatever, and, and you're more willing to go back to them? Or how do you think about the participant side of it? I haven't run into the reusing participants yet personally, just because I'm mm -hmm. jumping across products. I, I, I imagine that if, uh, like if I were still on a specific product doing these benchmarks over time, that might be a consideration just because it is, yeah, it, is, it has been a challenge trying to find people using the, the tools that you want. Um, it, that, it, that's, that's just, um, you have to ask the right screener questions and, and everything, but this is definitely a use case that suits a third-party recruitment platform like user interviews really well. Like I'm really relying on on user interviews for these types of studies rather than our own user base because we're we're trying to recruit people who have haven't used that that aren't like IBM customers just for for this type of study. So wait, sorry, no, just to double click into that. So yeah. you're recruiting people who are not IBM customers. So are you asking them then? You're looking to understand their experience with competitors, but not relative to their experience with IBM? It's the first time use, like we're trying to, trying to get. So, and, and I'm, I'm, I was also sort of loosely referring to sort of two methods of doing these competitive benchmarks because we have our ideal method, which is we have the head to head evaluation where we, we have people go through one product and then the IBM product. But then sometimes 
due to, like you said, like cost or legal restrictions or something like that, we have to do the alternative method, which is where we ident- we recruit people who use competitor products. And we have to be really specific about which competitor products they use. With the, with the first method, we don't have to be as specific about the competitors that they use. In fact, it's probably better if they haven't used either <laughs> tools, so then it's the first time use of both. But for the alternative method, then we're like, okay, we want three people who use this product and three people who use this product and three people who use this product. And then that's when we're getting really focused on that. And so it's kind of, we we're, we it's like our backup plan. Nice. And how do you think about avoiding like some of the downsides that people always bring up when you like fixate on competitors? I know, you know, when we think about it within product, the, the terminology I've often heard is like, you know, you want to know where you have liabilities, like your solution is just much worse than maybe a competitive offering. And, and that might be something you want to address. But then also you want to, you know, focus on how you create unique value relative to competitors and, and kind of win on your own merits and your differentiators. And sometimes, you know, fixating so much on a competitor can hurt your ability to, to think that way. Um, is there any stuff that you do on the research side to make sure that like, you're getting all of the value with like, fewer of the downsides or risks? an interesting question i saw that in the discussion guide and i was like i don't i'm, I'm like I'm, I, was, I was curious like what are the downsides of focusing on the, the competition too much i guess like if you are over fixated on it and then like defining your roadmap based off of that then that's difficult and that's where like researchers really partner with product managers to define that roadmap i i guess maybe what i've seen is a little too much of like not focusing on the competition and so mm-hmm. that's why my role was created so um, I don't know. I, I think I think it depends on the role. Like I think within UX and design, we maybe haven't focused as much. And then there's there's like, I guess there's the, always that executive level where they hear something about the competitor, and then they're like, oh, we have to do this. But then they haven't looked at like how they're doing it or, or right. the way that they're doing it. And so, yeah. I mean, this is just one method among many, and so, and we we typically do a lot of other studies. This isn't a very, this is yeah. one we do f- too frequently or we don't do it all the time. Yeah, no, what you're getting at actually makes sense in the sense of, right, like this is a way to gather the data and have more information and have more signal. That in itself is not going to be a bad thing or detrimental. It's going to help you understand stuff, how you make use of it or the decisions you make off of it. You know, may- maybe that's more on the product side where it's like, oh, the competitors are all doing X and Y, so we should do X and Y when like really you should be doing yeah. Z to like set yourself apart, right? And um so maybe how it's distilled or interpreted is, is the more impactful part, but, but gathering it and having the data is usually not a bad thing. And that's where the user researchers are really valuable because we're always asking why. And so we push back on them and, and then we'll run and do a study to, 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 like, to see who's right. <laughs> you know? Fair, yeah. Yeah. And it, it does feel like a question of degree. It's like not should you do competitive research, but maybe like how much, right? Everyone has finite research resources. So how much how much of your time does it make sense to spend on competitive versus other forms of research and like when in the life cycle of a company should you be focusing on competitive research is that something you should you know be focusing on from day one or as you're more mature I don't know if you have a perspective on that Uh, yeah I do I I think there's different timings for competitive research it depends on the type of competitive research you want to do as well Uh, like the type that I'm doing right now is so evaluative that it's Definitely something you want to do once you actually have a product launched. I actually ran into that where I was asked to do a competitive benchmark on a product we haven't even released yet. And I'm like, well, I don't even have anything to test. <laughs> and and so that's where 
it's really appropriate to do more. It's, it's just like going into, okay, generative versus evaluative. There's generative competitive research, and then there's evaluative competitive research. And so generative competitive research could be, you know, recruiting users who use these competitive products and just having a casual, like an interview, a structured interview with them about, okay, this is what, what you're finding valuable. And then, I mean, I've done that before too, like doing kind of like looking at the, the analyst reports and doing the secondary research and finding strengths and weaknesses of other products and, you know, doing all like there's, there's a, just basically like, just, just, you need to kind of tailor your methods to the timing of your product. Yeah. Totally. It, um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it, it does feel like you're saying, JH, like what are the downsides of this? And I feel like, you know, the pendulum kind of in recent years swung very like competitive research, you know, competitive in anything, not being cool. And like, it's really just like, you know, have your own point of view and, you know, focus on your positioning and your roadmap and so on and so forth. I wonder if maybe there's just a natural every pendulum swings and that's just how life is. Um, But with the current state of the market, right, it does feel like being market aware is a good thing, whether that be your competitors, the changing needs of your customers, just generally like macro what's happening. It does Mm -hmm. feel important to understand because there is so much change and disruption happening that, um, you know, and I don't know how much of this, this fits in with benchmarking, but your competitors are not only your direct competitors, but also do we even need this tool at all? (laughs) You know, do we have the budget for this tool? And so just being aware of what the alternatives are does somehow feel maybe more Mm -hmm. um, urgent now than uh, it would have in the past. Totally. I was going to say, I think, I think a lot of teams face, right, is with um, user research uh, resources often kind of being a little constrained and, you know, how do you best deploy them? And, and this kind of has led to the whole democratization of research and, you know, PMs and designers, um, you know, leading research in cases, things like that. When you think of competitive research, is that something that's like a methodology that's pretty well suited for like a non-researcher to help take? So like a, you know, product manager or designer could do some of the competitive benchmarking or analysis and and free up the user researcher to do maybe more generative or, or some more specialized methodologies? Or do you think it's actually a case where like the skill set of knowing how to do competitive benchmarking really well is it's, you know, ideally everything's led by research, right? But if you're in a team that has like some trade-offs and, and resource constraints, any thoughts on like the ability for a non-researcher to do this type of stuff? I think with the way that I'm, at least the, the current project of developing this method of competitive benchmarking, it's, it's kind of meant to be a method that people can pick up and use. And so I haven't done this, but I could see that in the future, maybe giving it like to having a people who do research type person do, do that. Uh, especially since it's kind of, it's already, there's sort of a structure to it. It's very structured. And and when I've, when I've helped designers, I've worked with do research. That's usually the type of research I give, like I, I would help them, help them facilitate is like the kind of structured, like evaluative, like prototype testing or usability testing, concept testing, like kind of, I would, that's, that's usually what I would, would lean on them to like, and lean on enabling them to do. So I, I could see at least this form of competitor research that I'm developing, like the benchmarking, I think, I think that could definitely be done by somebody if you, if you train them. Cool. For these benchmarks that you're, uh, paint me a picture. You, you have like a, a deck, you have a, like a grid with scores and competitors. Like what are some of the assets, you know, you're creating to show these benchmarks? And then 
uh, how do you share them and how do you update them and reshare them? Like, how are people accessing this information? Yeah, uh, I'm a super big Airtable fan and I do everything in Airtable. I've written about it before, like a medium and, and, and everything. And I, um, I kind of, I collect all of my data in Airtable. Like I do that atomic research, like having it all in, ob in like observations or nuggets, and then they go up into insights. And that has been very valuable because it, it helps, it helps the teams that I work with dig into the data actually, instead of just being able to see the, the presentation I make at the end, the deck I make. And I mean, I, I always do make a deck because I feel like it can, I can tell a story better that way, but then really diving into the data and giving, I give, I use, I use Airtable interfaces and let them like kind of play around with the data and, so I've made dashboards of like, oh, here are the participants and here are the breakdowns of them. Like here are their roles and these are the tools that they use to kind of help uh, to help sort of prove that I recruited the right people. And then I have like a overall like metrics dashboard, which is like the, the, the metrics from the overall study like that you ask at the end with the like a the, the overall like ease of use questions. Like I, I, I use the UX UM light, which is like a shorter version of the system usability scale. And, and so then there, I have those like overall metrics, the NPS score, cause we love NPS at my company, <laughs> whether or not you agree with it being a good UX. That's another, that's another pendulum. <laughs> that, that one's always going back and forth. <laughs> I just use it because it's something that our, my stakeholders understand. <laughs> it's good to have something for them to understand. And, and then, um, and then I have another dashboard for task specific metrics, like, like the time on task and then the, the, the individual ratings and it goes very in depth. And, and that's been just like very, very helpful for people to, to go in and, and be able to then take action upon the findings. Nice. I love that. Yeah. I think there's something to the idea of like, if you're doing research, that's going to unearth a lot of this, you know, somewhat structured data. Uh, compiling it in a format that lets people actually interact with it and kind of explore it seems um, much more useful and like rich than, yeah, like I'm guessing that these cuts and these trends are the things people I want to see. So I'm going to, you know, pull those out and put them in a slide deck, um, but giving the end user uh, a way to play with it. That that seems mm -hmm. pretty, uh, pretty cool. I'd imagine, have you gotten any feedback? Like do the people you're sharing this with, are they, are they fans of this? Oh yeah. I was a little worried because I'm like, Oh, is this too technical or something? But the product manager I worked with was like, I, I go back to this every day and I, and I share it with my team. And I was like, that's like, that's the music to my ears. <laughs> nice. That's really cool. Yeah. And just, the um, the, I was asking about, um, the, the change of the benchmarks. How do you, uh, Maybe this is hard to podcast. I'm like looking for a visual here. But how do you represent the changes? Do you have different columns for, or is or I guess you're early in this. So maybe there hasn't been as much of the updating of the benchmarks. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, what I would what I do is like you, you kind of you can map out like time series. So you could make like a bar chart or something. I don't know. I'm it out and then like you can see okay this was this was like the time on task the first time then this is the changed time on task or hopefully it's lower i just nice like, yeah like, right, right 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 okay so they're able to access that information quickly too that's it's always very satisfying just seeing the the change in things because yeah. you start from you're like is this good is this bad i don't know like um but seeing the change over time is very satisfying how do you think about um, the number of participants you want for this type of stuff? I know that's always a kind of a hot topic in research is, you know, is five people enough and yada, yada. But like when you're doing kind of like those trends and time on tasks and stuff, do you do you need a bigger sample or how do you um, make sure that you're kind of like can trust some of these uh, data points? 
Yeah. Um, when I do the the alternative method, which is where I recruit people who use competitor products, I have to have a I have to be able to make sure I have enough people who use the competitor products. And so I've been targeting three because it's not one or two, but it's three. It's like a larger number, and then maybe having nine or twelve participants total. Um, but I I'm yeah I'm still early in this and still sort of refining it, and and so I'm trying to I'm thinking f- like to have five and five for the ones where it's like we're recruiting compete uh where the head-to-head one where it's okay you're going through our product and the competitor product and we'd have them go through both in the same one and counterbalance which one they start with like they'd start with um the ibm product and then they'd start and then the other person would start with the the, the competitor product um well, that might be end up being too much but that's i think probably around what we would start with we'd, we've been having some like kind of legal challenges with, with doing this. And, but the next project is, has been approved to do it this way. So it'll be exciting. Yeah. Cool. How, and, um, is this easier when you're dealing with like the end users of the software? So I'm thinking like just an example, like, you know, HR software tools, like, uh, we use a cool tool called uh, culture amp for like performance reviews and other stuff. Probably somewhat easy to go out and find people like a manager who's had experience writing a review and that, and they could like, do some tasks with you and so forth. Um, probably much harder, but in some ways maybe more important to like find the buyer of that software, like the head of HR who's going to implement it and set it up and they, they use it super differently than like the rest of the organization. Um, mm-hmm. Do you find that most of this stuff is more towards the end user of like how they're using like a B2B solution? Or do you also do stuff that's more with like the buyer or the champion who's like d- doing it in a very different way? The, the, the model that's really popular now and that we're going after is the product-led growth approach, which mm-hmm. is different than the way that we've always done it, which is the buyer, which is really heavily reliant on the sales team. And so my focus is, is going forward. Like, like we're all really focused on this product led growth now. And so it's definitely more of a focus on the end user. Cool. Yeah. And it seems like that makes a lot of these methodologies and insights probably much like easier to gather because it's actually like, it's like the usability of the software, not the, <laughs> you know, one-time implementation thing that you had to go through or something. Right. You mentioned a couple of times just like legal challenges. I'm curious how, you know, what, what you can talk about, what legal approves um, in terms of how uh, you've navigated those or any advice you might have for folks to kind of do this kind of research in a way that is uh, legally sound, which we always want to be. We like to say at user interviews, we support any research that is safe and legal. So yeah, um, yeah let's let's keep it legal. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've done, I've learned a lot about just like our corporate legal guidance on how, how to do these. And we've had a lot of discussions about this. And, and basically the, the two big takeaways I would share with anybody is that um, there's all, all products have master service agreements or master license agreements or even terms of use. And um, you also might want to watch out for if their trial has a separate terms of use, because that was something I ran into where I checked the legal agreement for the overall tool, but then I signed up for the trial and then found out the trial had something about not accessing it for competitor use. Mm. So you got to check these things. And so what I usually do is I do kind of like a, 
Command F or Control F if you're on Windows, like to find the um, some keywords. And the keywords I typically look for, I usually type in COMP, which are the first four letters of competitor. And then it, you might see like a prohibition against competitive benchmarking or competitor access or, or something like that. I'll type in that. Sometimes I'll type in benchmarking too, because a lot of that's kind of the common term that mm-hmm. people use, especially from like developer access. They'll, they'll want to do like performance benchmarking and that kind uh-huh. of thing. So, there's a few kind of keywords to look for and just check, okay, are they mentioning anything about it? If so, okay, go back to your legal team and assess, assess risk. And then um, and then the other thing is, you, is, is be transparent about who you are. So sign right. up with your work email and, and not pretend that you're actually a prospective user. Just like sign up with your work email and, and access it in a not sneaky way yeah so that you can be booted when they recognize you <laughs> um I'm, I'm interested you would think everyone would just include those competitive lines in their terms of service if i don't know like why not yeah it, it makes me wonder like it, it just feels so different in like a physical product versus software product world mm-hmm. like you know if i wanted to go into like spatula manu- manufacturing and i went out and bought a bunch of spatulas to learn yeah how, what i like to like it's like i'm 100 percent buying these to use them for competitive research and then uh and you, it seems like preposterous to have that disclaimer on that but i guess you're buying it so maybe it's different if you're um you know if you're spending money on these tools or like sure you can use whatever you want well and then there's some things where so, so some people have told me well okay you can't access it but maybe you recruit a participant and then they access it but then you're actually putting them in in potential legal <laughs> sticky situations too because it's like they'll say you know you can't even view it via someone like there, there's there's specifically yeah. wording I forgot exactly what it is but that's something to be careful too because you don't want to put your participants in a bad situation either you have the participants recruit another person you get enough shells and layers here <laughs> yeah just get your kids to do it that's clearly the solution here <laughs> no it's a good point though it is uh, uh i think to your point about just being genuine of like not trying to sneak around using email you know, and, and doing some basic checks um that, that does feel like goes a long way to covering the bases and being ethical here yeah, and you might find that a lot of companies in this whole product-led growth mindset have already put demos of their tools on YouTube mm-hmm. and things like that. So mm-hmm. there's indirect ways to access as well. Yeah. You can't view that YouTube video for competitive reasons. Yeah. <laughs> they might give you the, the shiny version. <laughs> they don't show the tripping over task completion in the demo videos. <laughs> Blooper reel. Um, cool. Well, zooming out just a, a little bit, uh, other advice that you would give folks that are trying to do some competitive benchmarking that maybe we haven't uh, covered yet? Um yeah, like benchmarking is specifically like what we try to do is identify a core set of tasks that users might would go through on both products. Like there's some there's some reason why you chose this competitor and that in the by that specific product you're working on. And so theoretically they're trying to accomplish the same goal. And so um that's just, just something, okay, like you try to have them go through the same tasks on both product and then you're comparing how they perform on those tasks. That's kind of the really the core of what we're doing. Got it. And you work with, um, I guess, the PMs uh, to figure out what those what PM those developer, are. yeah, whoever is yeah. like the, everyone has opinions, and and yeah, the developers are really helpful there too. Yeah, cool. How do you um, like prime or warm up participants to have like enough context in like hmm. whatever fake scenario you're going to ask them to go accomplish tasks within? You know, what I imagine I'd imagine for like some B two B software, it's like rather involved, right? Like yeah. pretend you're in this role doing this thing and you yeah, need to yeah. do this and now go through all these steps. Like any tips on how you make that like as realistic or as useful as possible. So it doesn't feel contrived or, or fake. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it really depends on like what the product is, of course, but like that that can be really helpful, of course, partnering with your cross-functional stakeholders because especially they may have been working on this a lot longer than you have. And I found that sometimes like support documentation can be kind of helpful mm. for that too. Like we had one product that has a um, like a whole like um, guided tutorial and the documentation about how to do that. So I just copied what the documentation had. Like they they'd created this whole scenario about how you work at Golden Bank and you're trying to do this. And so I just was like, oh, that sounds great. I will use that scenario. That sounds good. Let's pretend we're at Golden Bank and we're trying to replicate like credit score tables and just like like that worked pretty well. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's also probably a tip there too. I know when I've tried to access competitor tools before and haven't had success, you know, looking through like release notes and support Mm -hmm. documentation and stuff, you can find a lot of screenshots. You can find a lot of details that again, aren't the same as using the product firsthand, but probably uh, something there too is a a way to poke around. Forums, maybe people are talking about their use cases and you can come up with some ideas from that. Maybe chat GPT. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Never know. Yeah. I'm also thinking about, you could imagine some like targeted applications of this, for example, let's say like we're seeing churn and contraction with a particular segment. And we know that this segment really, you know, they're signing up for our product for this particular use case. Let's dig into that one. Mm -hmm. Right. And let's watch how people are accomplishing, you know, those kinds of tasks. Um, So you could be a little more targeted with it. Um, so yeah, very, very cool. Yeah. Do you want to, I, I don't know why I'm so fixated on this, I guess, cause it just seems fun to explore. The spatula um, is coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you like, do you want to paint like a hyper realistic, like immersive scenario or do you want to keep it kind of like bare bones? Like, do you want to be like, it's Tuesday and overcast and like your boss is like, you know, da, 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 and like really get them like in, in character, so to speak. Or is it more of like, Hey, like you're a manager, you need to like pull this report, go see if you can do it. You know what I mean? Like, like, do you have a, you know. One of those seem better than the other. <laughs> I'm going to make a guess here. <laughs> uh, I'm usually a little more, yeah, like just kind of focused on the task itself. I mean, that's kind of a fun sort of like role-playing idea. Yeah, they have a, they have a, a dress code they have to bring to the testing session. <laughs> Some murder mystery. All right. Well, it sounds like keep it simple. <laughs> um, awesome. And anything else folks listening should know? Um, I've given a lot of great advice already. I guess one thing that I always think is super valuable when doing any type of research is is really involving the rest of your team. And so having having the developers, designers, and product managers attend your sessions is super valuable. And that's where certain user research tools can be helpful with that too, because you can create that sort of one-way mirror sort of thing, like with Lookback or UserZoom, they have those, um, I thought, like what do they call it, like the the waiting, the, the, the observation observation rooms and so then the they can you can have a separate chat with them and then you can have a chat with your participants if you need to send your participant a link or something but they they can ask you questions that you can then ask but then it's not just disruptive to the participant and i mean there's 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 ethical questions about that too like should the like should it be known that the participant like should the participant know they have a bunch of people observing them or like how do you disclaim that but I've also, but I also don't think it's necessarily right to have like a Zoom or WebEx call where you've got 20 IBMers on there and one participant, and then they're like, I'm being watched, you know, like, or it's just kind of uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to offend somebody. And so I, I usually try to position myself as like a third party person, like 
like helping evaluate a tool. Like I, I kind of try to distance myself from the product as much as I can. Like I didn't work on this. Like I'm just evaluating this tool. And then, and then sort of having like the team on there is really valuable, but not having them all like, 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 like visibly there for the participant. Good. And, and so I, I like having them be able to ask me questions to ask them because I've had it before where somebody went off mute and started arguing with the participant and that's like the worst, but having them there is so good because then they've are, they're already anticipating your, like what you're telling them, like you're, you're going to present to them. And then they're already thinking about ways to improve the product. And it, it's, it's, it's like that, um, Tomer share, in their own book. Like it's our research. Like it really becomes our research, you know, like where it's a collective effort. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I'd imagine too, for like the engineers and the product folks, like, you know, while you're working on like some of the big takeaways, like time on tasks and some of these other structure things, there's probably lots of little details you they pick up on of oh that icon is much clearer for this type of thing or whatever right and um you know might be able to take some some small things away from it that maybe you know wouldn't be on the researcher's radar and so uh, I'd imagine that's super helpful yeah I mean no matter how long I work at IBM there's going to be people who've worked at IBM longer than me especially <laughs> like like there's people who've been there like 20 plus years and it's like and you've been working in this area 20 plus years there's just going to be something like you're, you're you're so much more knowledgeable than me and like my expertise is in UX research and then their expertise is in that specific area. Mm-hmm. So it's really helpful to have them there for those purposes as well. Awesome. What are you excited to do next with competitive research or, or otherwise? Well, I'm excited to, to do more of these and really, really um, be able to refine this method and share it out. And, um, and then, I mean, otherwise I've just been having a lot of fun learning, keeping up with all the AI foundation model stuff. It's crazy. Yes. It's every it day. Is. <laughs> yes. It is, it is a wild landscape. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. It's been great. Yeah. Yeah. Hey there, it's me, Aaron. And me, JH. We are the hosts of Awkward Silences, and today we would love to hear from you, our listeners. So we're running a quick survey to find out what you like about the show, which episodes you like best, which subjects you'd like to hear more about, which stuff you're sick of, and more just about you, the fans that have kept us on the air for the past four years. Filling out the survey is just going to take you a couple of minutes. And despite what we say about surveys almost always sucking, this one's going to be fantastic. So userinterviews.com slash awkward survey. And thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. <laughs>